0: Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you this morning. If you are anything like me, this has been a bit of an overwhelming kind of week. You might be feeling a little bit out of sorts. I'd be a little worried about you if you weren't feeling a little bit worried about the state of the world. There was a about an hour or two of joy on Wednesday morning when we learned finally that not one but two progressive senators had been elected from the state of Georgia to represent us. That joy lasted about four hours. And then we saw scenes from our own nation's capital as white nationalists stormed the capital to occupy it drunk on conspiracy theories and lies from the mouth of our evil president. If delusional violence and the precarity of our democracy were not disorienting enough, the pandemic that we continue to suffer under silently increases its reach. Just today, four 1, 000, almost 4,000 of our beloved friends and neighbors suffocated to death. Those of us who aren't sick are still hurting. We are tired. We are locked in still for the foreseeable future. We're agitated like tea kettles. In the midst of all this going on in the world around us is our regular life, which even in the best of times, even when everything else is going well, it's never easy. We're looking for meaningful work to do, for ways to spend our time that feel rewarding personally and professionally. We're dealing with all kinds of health issues. We're facing our own loneliness. We're wondering and we're wandering. So this is where today, in this kind of place, in this kind of disorienting space, this is where God gives us a story about baptism. And I want to read that story for you today. We read today from the Gospel of Mark, the very beginning, the first chapter of Mark. We pick it up in verse 4. Listen listen again to the story of Jesus' baptism and think about what it might mean for you. John the baptizer. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by John in the river Jordan confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus of Nazareth, in Galilee, came to John and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved. In you I am well pleased. That is our story. That is the word of God. It is for you, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. So we need to know today, what does baptism mean? What does my baptism mean at this very moment? Can remembering our baptism on this day help us navigate this place that we are in individually and collectively with equanimity and with courage? When Mark begins his gospel, when he begins his story of the good news about Jesus, Mark starts it down by the riverside. There's no baby in the story. There's no magi. The focus is not even at the beginning on Jesus. It's on John, wild John, John the baptizer, John the eater of bugs, John the the wearer of animal pelts, John the spitter of fire, John a prophet in the old style, fearless and fearsome. There's a fire in his bones. John, Mark says, is drawing all the people out into the wilderness to hear him. Well, that's kind of curious if you think about it. I mean, that's the first sign in Mark's gospel that something strange is going on in the world when Jesus shows up on the scene. Everyone, Mark says, is going out to see John. People from the Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. They're going out to where? To the wilderness. To the place where all the rules for regular life, to all of our our norms, all of our do this, don't do that. All that doesn't apply in the wilderness. People are going out to a, a more elemental place, stripped of comfort and convenience and custom. And who do they go out to see? go out to see this man speaking about sin, about the things we get wrong again and again, but not just about sin, about repentance, about turning our lives around, how to get right with God. Why do you suppose so many people are going out to see John? We can assume that those men and women were Experiencing something like what we are experiencing now, some kind of disorientation, some kind of disaffection, some kind of dis-ease, some sense, whether inner or outer or both, that all is not well in the world or with me. Some of them were drawn to John and the wilderness, no doubt, by just a simple curiosity. What the heck is going on out there? And some were drawn by the hope that John's righteous anger would coalesce into a rebellion against the Roman occupiers. But many, I think maybe most, were drawn out of their own sense of need. Their own sense of just not feeling at home in themselves. Needing something from outside of themselves, someone to help. So there John stands in the middle of this river, and John has invented a ritual, something to shock you back into the sense of the sacred center of your life. Get get in the water, John says, right? Get in the water, sink Down into the water. Drown in the water the sin. Drown the the guilt in your life. Drown the shame that you feel. Drown your greed. Drown your self-loathing. All the things that cling to you that keep you from living in the peace of God. Leave them in the water. When you come up, And you come out of the water, John promises us, you will be different. You will feel freer. You will feel joy. It will feel like your life has begun again, like you have been born anew. So they go out to see John by the hundreds, by the thousands. And Jesus comes along with them. I mean, he he comes kind of out of the side entrance into this story. He approaches the river as nothing more than one of the thousands of faceless pilgrims who are seeking out John to fill a hole or to meet a need. And Jesus goes down to the river. He walks down the riverbank and he goes down and John pushes him under the water, and the water covers Jesus up entirely, and when Jesus comes back up, something has happened. Something happens. For a long time, when I pictured this scene of Jesus' baptism, I I would imagine a crack in the sky with light shining through and a dove kind of dive-bombing from that crack in the sky. The sky. Mark uses that language, a tear in the heavens. This is not literal language, right? This is the language of metaphor. There is a gap, right? There is a crack. There is a tear, a a, a rupture, but it's not in the sky, I think. That rupture, I think, happens in whatever barrier it is that we have made in our minds that separates us from heaven. This rupture, uh, this break is in whatever mental construct we have that that puts God up there and and sets us down here and separates the two. The rupture that happens in this story is, is in the idea that holiness, the holiness of God is somehow inaccessible to human beings, that our lives are only subject to physical laws and forces. That's the tear. In the heavens, when Jesus comes out of the water, the separation between God and human beings is breached, right? This is important. This is important, not so much because it means that we can speak to God through that hole in the heavens, or that we can catch a glimpse of heaven through that tear. It's important because it's clear from the beginning of Mark's gospel, clear all the way through to the end that it is heaven that comes through that tear to us. The heavens are indeed torn open. The boundary between heaven and earth is opened wide and holiness comes to us. When Jesus begins his ministry in Mark's gospel, just a a few verses after the baptism, what does he say? What does he say as his first words? Jesus says to all who will listen, the kingdom of god has come near so for 2000 years those of us who have followed after jesus have repeated john's ritual we gather near some water right we we find a font or a pitcher or a creek or a lake And we make promises about our life, about turning around, about renouncing evil, about receiving Christ, about walking in the way of love. And then someone takes the water and puts it on our bodies. We feel it dribbling down our foreheads. Sometimes we are plunged into the water and underneath it. And when we come up, when we come up, well, what happens when we come up? What happens after we are baptized by the water and the Spirit? John says that Jesus is driven by the same Spirit deeper into the wilderness to be tested and tried before he returns from the wilderness to bear witness to the nearness of God. What happens? What happens to us after our baptisms? Do you remember yours? Do you remember where it was? Who was there? Was it in a church or was it outside? Who gathered around? Did you make promises on your own? Did someone make promises on your behalf? For most of us, the truth is, after our baptisms, we are less likely to go into the wilderness and more likely to go to brunch. Right? We spend time on the day of our baptisms with our family. If we're an infant, we probably take a nap somewhere along the lines. Baptisms are lovely in our tradition. They're beautiful. It's a joy to celebrate them. They are They are such a good and polite ritual in the church. And maybe we need to rethink that a little bit. I was baptized at age 13 after I had just completed the confirmation course offered at the Presbyterian Church. And I remember standing there at the font in front of everyone, feeling embarrassed by all the attention. And in retrospect, I am actually kind of embarrassed by how nice it all was. The minister was standing there in his crisp black robe and his nicely coiffed hair. He made an awful John the Baptist The good folk in the church pews were smiling ear to ear, happy to see one of their own choosing the way of baptism. The whole thing was so agreeable. I suspected, even at age 13, that the baptism was probably meant to be something other than a polite ritual. I mean, to be baptized in Christ means that a claim has been made on your life. Your life is not yours. Not exactly anymore, right? To be baptized is to realize that the heavens are in fact torn open. And the heavens have no intention of staying up there. Heaven pours through that rift. And heaven does this in order to get up into your business. Heaven, God's heaven, the fullness of God's love and justice and grace and peace, when that heaven comes through that tear, it comes and it has plans for you. It has an agenda for your life. Heaven wants to tell you what to do with your money. God's heaven wants to teach you how to how to see people and how to treat them well. Heaven wants you to forgive people who have hurt you again and again and again. Heaven, when it comes through into this place, heaven wants you to stand up to any person or any system that that, that would demean or degrade you or any of God's children. When you are baptized... You acknowledge that heaven has emptied itself from up there and is spilling out down here, and this heaven conscripts you as a citizen of a brand new kingdom. Indeed, like Jesus says, for those who are baptized, this kingdom of God has come near. I'm not sure, given the kind of life the life of discipleship in Jesus, the life that baptism expects of us, the ways that that this life brings us into conflict with the world as it is now, I'm not sure, honestly, why we treat baptism like some polite ceremony. This is a reckoning. I mean, Baptism asks you at once and then it asks you again and again and again to renounce your captivity to sin to face down death-dealing powers with courage. Your baptism asks you to lose your life in order to save it. Yeah, I'm not sure brunch is the right response. But nor is baptism entirely scary. Remember, the story says that just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, the heavens were torn apart, and the Spirit descended like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, and that voice said, You are my beloved, and in you I am well pleased. Yes, the heavens are torn open again at every baptism, and the heavens claim you for a life that you may not otherwise have chosen. But what also happens at every baptism is the sealing of God's spirit upon your spirit and the naming of you as God's own beloved. That's the piece that makes this ritual not just scary, but also glorious. Before you're sent out to live this life in Christ, God's Holy Spirit joins your own spirit. When you are baptized, a remarkable truth is proclaimed over your very life. You are the beloved of God. You are fashioned with joy by the creator of the universe. You, your particular person, your body and your spirit, the unique thing that is you, that there is nothing else like it in the entire universe. You are are one in whom God delights. Not just tolerates, not just abides with. You are one in whom God delights. This is who you are. The spirit is with you and you are loved by the source of love itself. Every day of your life, every day of your life after you're baptized, you wake up in the morning. Or you go to bed at night and you ask yourself, who am I? I am the beloved one of God. I am the one in whom God delights. And every time you face up to your deepest fears or step in front of your most difficult tasks, you can ask, who is with me? The answer is always, God's spirit is with me. That is why every year on this day, we tell this story and we remember our own baptisms. When we remember our baptism and when we tell this amazing story, we remember that the barrier that separates heaven from earth is torn and heaven is pouring itself out into our own life. We remember that God's heaven makes a great and wondrous claim on our life and calls us into good and hard things. And we remember that we are God's beloved and that God's spirit is always with us. That identity and that spirit are with us every day, every single day of our life until our time comes to leave this life, to cross over the River Jordan, and enter into the fullness of God's life and God's love. That fullness is something that we have seen in part in this life as it is breaking into our own. On that day when we cross over, there will be a funeral for you and your church will gather around you and they will declare in one voice that your baptism is complete in your death. And on that day, you will know the fullness of the joy that we now know only in part. So sure, yeah, things are a little weird right now. There's some scary stuff going on in our world. Things are not as they should be. And by the love of God, things are not as they will be. But in the midst of it all, I want you to take some time. Maybe today, maybe in the days to come, and go find yourself some water. Go down to the Peachtree Creek or head up to the Chattahoochee. Or just put some water in a bowl and hold it. Let it drip off your hands. Let it drip off your forehead. And know that by water and by the Spirit, you are claimed in the kingdom of God. You are named as God's own beloved and you are sealed by the Holy Spirit for all of your days. These promises are good and true this day and forever. Let the church say, Amen.